This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at craftsanity.com. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy... Hello and welcome to episode 200. Woohoo! We made it to 200, which is pretty cool. I'm not going to dwell on that for long, though, because I want to focus on getting to the main event here. And that is going to be a conversation that I recorded recently with Emily Wilshide. She is an artist from my neck of the woods. She lives down in Battle Creek, has a studio in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and a stone's throw from suburban Grand Rapids where I live. She's the owner of Bricolage Studios and I really love her work. She has created some a business out of blending her jewelry artist skills and metalsmithing with her fiber art skills. So when this woman learned to spin, it's like she just, I guess, decided to set the world on fire because a really great things have, have come out of that. So uh, if you are somebody out there listening that maybe you don't do just one thing, there's so many people out there that specialize and they master one art or craft, and that is fantastic. Uh, but then there are, are many of us who can't seem to just stay in one lane. Sometimes we want to carve a, a two-lane road, or a, in my case, it's more like an eight-lane highway. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and I have semi trucks filled with supplies and I'm cruising along. Um, yeah, so Emily is one of the artists out there who is able to take the best of two worlds and combine it. Well, Emily, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. And kind of long overdue because we've talked several times. And I, every time we talk, I'm like, I totally should interview her. So finally, <laughs> finally, we're going to we're going to get to it here. So. I'd like to start off with just giving you a chance to kind of introduce your business to the listeners. I know you have a lot of people who follow your work, especially in Michigan. You, you go to a lot of Michigan festivals and get to see your customers and fans. But for those who are further out and want to learn about you, um, if you can explain your business and kind of what you specialize in, that would be wonderful. Bricolage Studios. And um, the funny thing is, is I started out just making jewelry and um, had a different name and realized it was kind of uh, restraining me. So uh, as I got into fibers and learning how to spin and everything, I kind of was looking for a word that would encompass everything. And bricolage just seemed to work. And it was honestly like a thesaurus find, <laughs> you know, and it means a makeshift piece of handiwork or something to that effect. And from materials that are readily available. And because I'm using a lot of local wools and also using recycled copper and things like that that are sourced locally, I felt like it was perfect. So um, I was able to then start making my jewelry and creating my fiber under the same sort of business entity and bringing everything together that way. Yeah, that's awesome. So what year was that when you took on the new business name? I'm going to say that was around 2008 that I started that. Um, I learned how to spin early that year, so it kind of fell into place after that. Okay, so you really launched your handmade business how long ago? I didn't really launch it uh, until I was able to buy my drum carter, which was because of a bonus at a job that had nothing to do with the arts or fiber or anything like that. I had gotten my wheel and then... I um, was kind of using a friend's drum carter because I fell in love with carding in the second spinning class that I took. And 
I was using hers to kind of blend fibers that I'd picked up here and there, and they were not hand dyed. A lot of them were Ashland Bay fibers, and I just loved being able to combine texture and color that way. Color is something that it's just I think most artists feel really strongly about. I um, got really into doing that because my sister's a painter, and I was always jealous of her talents with that because I'm not a two dimensional artist and. <laughs> I was like, how can I find an outlet where I can actually be excited about this and actually feel good about the work that I'm creating? And it turns out it was making fiber supplies. So I got a really good bonus at work that year after I'd been using a friend's carter for a while. It just kind of took off from there. And suddenly I was dyeing my own fibers, which I said I would never do, and washing fleeces. <laughs> and um, <laughs> You know, it, it really kind of exploded <laughs> from there. And I was doing very, very small batches out of my kitchen and, you know, taking over with like all four burners on the stove and, uh, you know, like a two burner on the counter and then a crock pot on the other one. Because if I was getting it all out, it was going to be a marathon session at that point. <laughs> so, How did you find yourself on this path? Well, it's funny. Um, my mom and dad actually both were very creative people in their own right. Um, my dad did a lot of woodworking when I was a kid. And my mom was always cross-stitching or uh, quilting, actually, was her big thing. Uh, she made a lot of my clothes when I was a kid, um, mostly pajamas. She loved making us pajamas. But she really kind of instilled that in us and so we you know and they were both very encouraging about it and I don't I'm not sure how old I was but I started just stringing pony beads onto just some awful like butcher's twine or something I don't know what I was using <laughs> and you know like making things for my parents rearview mirrors and um things like that you know that they were just terrible but they loved them anyway and um so that that was like a very early thing with jewelry for me was that and I loved doing it. And then early in high school, I discovered there was a bead store in Marshall and started buying nicer things and learning how to string, uh, like use the tiger wire or the beetle on or whatever that was like a nicer wire and connecting my own clasp and designing pieces that way. And that actually eventually led to working at that bead shop when I got a little bit older. Um, and so by the time I was ready for college, my sister had been at art school for a couple of years and I really wanted to go into jewelry making. So I wanted to learn metal smithing skills and setting stones and things like that and ended up really working on that at college. But the college I chose to go to Adrian in Adrian, Michigan, didn't have an extensive metals program. They had a really great art program, but not necessarily metals. So as I was taking other media, I ended up taking a fiber class there and um, a couple of fiber classes there and learned how to felt and got into wool and because of that. And then I was also dyeing their textiles, um, not wool, but uh, using reactive dyes there and learning a lot of shibori techniques and things like that. So my senior thesis was a combination of jewelry and then some felted pieces that I did that were with natural objects. When I graduated, I was left very, um, very alone. <laughs> um, you know, you get used to being around a community. I didn't have a jewelry bench or any of the equipment that I'd had access to at college. I had some tools, but not a lot of things I could do. I ended up seeing that there was a spinning class at the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts. And in the meantime, I'd been looking for wool for felting. So I'd seen some people spinning at a few little wool shows that I attended, and it kind of just sparked that in me. So I decided to go for it. <laughs> and so the actual intention of me learning how to spin was I had seen the book Intertwined by Lexi Boger, and I saw that she was spinning around wire in this book. So I learned how to spin, and then I was like, all right, I got to get this down. And it took me a long time to figure out the technique that I use, but the end goal of spinning was always to be able to try to start incorporating yarn into my jewelry. I was already putting some felt in my work, but I hadn't quite found a way to really that I was really excited about, I guess, at the time. And 
Um, so that's how that kind of all came together. So the fiber and the metal has been trying to come together <laughs> since college, but really didn't uh, come into fruition until maybe about six or seven years ago to the point where I was really starting to be happy with it. How long did you kind of practice your techniques before you were like, I, I'm going to take this to a show? It was kind of immediate because I think it, it had been in my head for so long that it was one of those things where when I did it, I was like, oh, that turned out exactly how I envisioned it. That's and so awesome when that happens. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, the felt work took a little bit longer. Those All of the stuff that I do with the little felt balls and things like that has kind of went through several different transformations. I'm working currently on making some jewelry lines with hand spun yarn with around the wire that things can get swapped out instead of having to buy like five of the same necklace if you want different colors, having kind of an interchangeable piece in there. So it's been kind of fun more recently to challenge myself a little bit more and do something uh, even more different with what I'm doing. The felt work, I think is what I was trying to say. It was a little bit more challenging to get to a point where I was like, I'm happy with this. Whereas the yarn stuff, it was like, oh, that just came right together. And um, some of it, you know, like if I look back at photos, it's kind of fun. And you probably do this with your work. You know, you go back and you're like, oh, how did that get from there to where I am now? <laughs> you know, you almost forget the first few pieces that you make and the things that you were doing to figure it out. So I guess it wasn't perfectly immediate, but it was pretty quick with the yarn. And no, I look back at some of my early weaving and I'm just like, whoa. And I mean, I was selling this stuff. You know, people were actually buying it. And I was like, wow, bless their hearts. <laughs> These people, <laughs> if we were so kind. It sounds like your new your new approach is sounds really cool where you can swap out pieces. It sounds like a great way to have something new for the people who've already purchased things. Yeah, and it was uh, to be perfectly honest, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> but no, is it uh, one of those great ideas from a customer? I get the best ideas from people. Yes. Who, so, yeah, people are like, <laughs> oh, do you have a loom that does blah blah blah? And I'll be like, no, but if I can figure that out, I will do it. You know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I've, I've been working on it, and because she was so generously supplied the idea, she's getting the prototypes. Well, so that's great. Yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. So will this be your – is this your first season selling the interchangeable things, or is that something you It will be. Out? Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping to get it done for Michigan Fiber Festival in a couple of weeks, but – We'll see. If not, it'll be Wisconsin Sheep and Wool in September. But Okay, so you're going to try. Yeah, having these deadlines can be really good, but it also can be, like, really stressful, though, too. <laughs> so Yeah, because I have to get fiber done, too. Yeah. So it's kinda like, well, I'd like to take a moment just to kind of go over your product line so people have a clear idea. So you're you're selling jewelry, but can you talk about the types of jewelry that you're – your your range of jewelry that you make? Because it's not just one kind of thing. You have quite a – assortment i mostly especially at fiber shows i sell works that are made out of recycled or i guess it would be upcycled a copper wire that um, a friend of mine her husband works for a construction company and they uh, whenever they dig up the roads there's all this copper ground wire and because it's coated uh, they can't recycle it so um, she's a jewelry maker also and they bring it home and they strip it all down and then we use it in our jewelry and then whatever they don't think that we could get through in our lifetime, they take back and actually recycle. So it's kind of a nice little win-win situation as well. It's a lot of work for them, but I think that they enjoy doing it and being able to uh, use that product still instead of just having it get thrown in a landfill. So so most of the wire and like that I use in my clasps or, you know, kind of underneath where I'm wire wrapping with my wire core yarn um, is from that recycled copper. So those pieces are hand spun yarn that I have spun around a very fine wire on my spinning wheel. And it's usually I like to use other people's fibers a lot for that because I don't get to treat myself very often. <laughs> so it's kind yeah. of kind of a fun way to support someone else and also be able to connect with them and have a collaboration without it being a lot of pressure. So I create those pieces out of that and it's a lot of it's just a lot of coiling and so I make beads and uh, little focal points and things like that out of those and I do some like 
hand-wrapped bangles and things like that. So there's just a lot of color in it, which, uh, you know, that goes back to that love of color. You know, I right. want that in my jewelry. And I do make traditional jewelry as well. But um, and my felt pieces actually have a lot more tr- of the traditional techniques in them. Um, with cold work, uh, with rivets and things like that, that are probably my favorite technique to do in jewelry making anyway. Those pieces are created with a lot of love and care because they are very time consuming. I am fabricating all the pieces from copper sheet and texturing them and shaping them and everything to make really kind of one of a kind pieces that are also part of a line. You know, they're all going to have a little bit of variation to them because they're all done by my hand. And um, so those are all out of copper as well. And those are the two main things that I sell when I do fiber shows or in my bricolage studios online store. Um, And then I also have another venture where I'm trying to get back to uh, traditional jewelry making techniques and uh, setting stones and using uh, lapidary techniques because I learned how to do that and create my own cabochons and for those who don't know what that is it's a flat backed stone that's domed <laughs> and you're able to set it but that's that's been really exciting to get back into and figure out how I can bring that work together I've done some pieces with some Icelandic sheep horn as well and that's really easy to market at fiber shows, but they're a lot more time consuming. So I haven't really launched a line of that just yet and hope to later this year. So there's a lot on my plate, <laughs> but that kind of encompasses all the jewelry that I make. Yeah. Well, I was looking at your website right now and it's in, well, like your shop on Big Cartel. And um, it's really cool because you have these jewelry pieces and fiber like mixed together and it all completely works like it just works and a lot of times artists who do a, have a blend of things that they do and i know i've run into this complication myself because i'm a printmaker i'm a weaver i, I quilt uh, i like to do um, embroidery and like design embroidery kits and like all this kind of stuff so when i go to a sale i often have the biggest dilemma i have is i'm like okay how do you present all this stuff to a person so they don't feel like you're in a booth you're sharing with five people you know it's like right. people will say is this all your stuff and i'll yeah. say yes and they just look at they just look at me like kind of confused like like how and why in your booth it seems like this is a, a little bit easier for you to maybe present this i don't know am i just thinking yeah. that the grass is greener <laughs> or do you have the same problem that i have you know, it took me a really long time. <laughs> so uh, the first several times I did shows, and I mean, people were so kind. I had a few people, actually, uh, Rick and Laura from Queso Cabeza Farms at Olivet used to run this tiny, tiny little fiber show in Marshall. And it was one of the first ventures I really had into it. And they were so sweet, and they're still so supportive. <laughs> and they came by, and they were just like, you need to get stuff up off the table, you know, and just things like that. And I think it's what most people struggle with when they first start doing any kind of festival that they're selling their work at, because it's like, unless you're selling 2D work and you've got walls to hang it on, you're like, how do I do this? And I was selling out of like vintage suitcases and it had the aesthetic of what I feel like I put out there. Um, A lot of people tell me my stuff has kind of a vintage look to it. And I think that's just my love of things that are vintage coming through and like the color palette and things like that. But they were one of the first people that would say that to me. And it was like, oh, yeah, yep, I need to do that. And I started collecting old textile bobbins from mills that had closed. You know, you can find them at antique shops and things like that. And I started picking them up and... All of a sudden, it was. I think it was just before I got pregnant, it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, why don't I make displays out of these for my jewelry? So that was kind of a turning point with making my booth be a lot more cohesive, I think, and making everything work together. I've started to use more wood, like my wood shelving and... 
uh, less of the the wooden crates. I used to use those a lot, but they got kind of overdone for a while with other people. And I wanted my booth to be set apart, but I also didn't want people to notice my displays more than my work. And that was a hard balance to find, too. I used to use a lot of vintage linens with the embroidery and stuff on them in my booth and people would walk in and like completely overlook the gobs of fiber and jewelry to be like, oh, <laughs> look <laughs> at the vintage. Yeah. And then offer to buy the vintage linen. Yeah, like they wanted to buy that and wondered if I made that. It was like, no, no, I didn't make that. <laughs> you know, no, it is. That is a big problem. I mean, I was just, um, I stayed last week. We, my family, um, we stayed in Holland on the lakeshore for a week and I went to a vintage shop and it was funny because like I loved this display right at the front of the store and it was empty so I thought oh it must be for sale but then it had that not for sale ticket on it and I was like really disappointed but then I was like oh my gosh like there's all this cool stuff in the store and I'm like fixating on the thing that's not for sale and it kind of registered with me I'm like okay try not to do that <laughs> try not to have people like you know steal the thunder of your own work by having some cool vintage thing and People want that and not, not the thing you're trying to sell. When it comes to your fiber, who are you selling to? Are you selling to spinners primarily? Comfortably, I think I could say about 65 to 70% of it is spinners. And then the rest of it is mostly felters. But I get a few weavers and knitters that will buy from me. Because there's enough chunky texture in there, a lot of people will use it to um, add a little bit of extra texture in a weaving project, especially I think people that do a lot with the Sayori weaving. So I get a lot of that uh, and some people will knit with it and they'll add locks in and things like that. Some people actually use it for the thrums and mittens and stuff like that. So that's kind of the the minority of the people that are buying from me. Uh, it's primarily spinners, but I also get a lot of the people that are like, I just want to put this in a bowl. And I'm like, I wish you'd do something with it, but that's really great. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying that your fiber is really great for sewery weaving. Have you tried weaving yourself? Do you weave at all? I'm fortunate in where I work that I get to take classes uh, a little bit more than most people probably I get the opportunity to. So at the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts, we have a really great weaving program. We've got like, I think there's 25 floor looms downstairs now. So I have taken a few floor loom weaving classes and I was so overwhelmed with how much there was <laughs> to learn about weaving that I, I, I want to revisit it when I have more time in my life because I grossly underestimated the craft and um it was definitely one of those things where you, you go into it and you're like how hard can it be you know and you're thinking about like paper weaving you did as a kid or right. you know just, right. just simple tabby weaving and things like that and I went into it thinking about it and I knew that actually dressing the loom was going to take a really long time but I had oh, no yeah. idea oh yeah and, and sometimes you have to fight with the, the yarn to get it on there oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah Yep. Well, nobody told me that a loom is like a computer until I was doing this. And then it was like, oh, gosh, yes, it is. This is very mathematical. And I I just, I like I said, I got very overwhelmed. <laughs> so Yeah, it's funny. It was The longer I've been weaving, the more basic I've gotten with my weaving. And so I just make looms that are super basic now that you can, like, throw in your bag because of all that. With kids, I don't have, yes. I don't have, like, 10 hours to set up my loom and warp thing. You know, it's like, I just, I just don't. And I love my loom and I will get back to it. I promise. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I hear you. A lot of people I think have that response to weaving. They're like, Whoa, this is way more than I was bargaining for. It does get faster and easier though. The more you do it. So I believe it, <laughs> but I, I need to find that time to really get into it. So. You're raising children as well. So yes. you have that, um, you know, in the mix. So tell me a little bit about your family. Uh, well, my stepdaughter is 16 and actually is currently right now going through driver's training. So that's been an interesting thing. And then, and so she lives with us, which is wonderful, but you know, she's busy. She's a teenager. So that's kind of difficult. And then my son is four, he'll be five next month. And so he, clearly demands a lot of my time still. And well, he's busy too. Just they're busy with different very things. Busy. Right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and 
So, and then my husband uh, is very supportive of me and my business, uh, but unfortunately, his job takes him out of town a lot. He's out of town again right now, and so I'm kind of left around here on my own to get the kids where they need to go and to get the, my work done. So uh, my son started preschool last year, and it was wonderful. And I finally found that work time and that rhythm I needed. And I've been kind of floundering this summer trying to figure out how to do that <laughs> again. So I, I'm definitely feeling that the whole how people look forward to their kids going back to school. And it's not that I don't want to spend the time with them. It's that I need to go back to work. Are you full time um, teaching at the community? It's the Kalamazoo Art Institute, is it? Um, so the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts oh, is I actually a art center. <laughs> so, no, no worries. It's it sounds really official. <laughs> and, um, so it's half museum and half school, and it's basically just community classes. Uh, we offer some residencies there for uh, post baccalaureate, uh, which is a kind of a new thing there. But it is definitely not full time. Um, I teach both in the jewelry department and the fiber department. So I teach spinning there on a regular basis, which is amazing that I get to do that. I don't know many people that get to do that. So um, I really have made a lot of connections and a lot of friends and kind of found community again because of that. So it's funny that the thing that I was like, I need to do something when I didn't have a studio is actually how I was able to find my community in my area again. And it's also nice that I'm able to be part of this jewelry community uh, in that department because I'm not sure that it's, I feel like, you know, fiber people really mostly automatically kind of want to gather and jewelry people, not so much. So. <laughs> It's it's nice to have something that's sort of built into place and in, even with the faculty there. Um, I'm currently head of the department there. So I, I get to work with a lot of really amazing women currently that are all instructors there and come from really different backgrounds with jewelry and everything. So, um, you know, it's technically it's about five hours a week of actual instruction usually. And then I usually put in um, you know, anywhere from two hours to 15 hours, depending on what's going on throughout the year because of my department head position. It's kind of a squirrely job as far as that goes, because I don't ever necessarily know when I'm going to have an obligation with that. Um, but also, it's really nice because it's very flexible. So it works really well being an artist and being able to be a working artist. So would you say that that's become a springboard then for you just launching, you know, products and things that you come up with? Because probably a lot of the people that you meet there are probably also people that come and see you at festivals and shows and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's it's really amazing, uh, that whole thing. You know, I said that about community with that. And uh, the last few years of ending a Fire Festival, it's been overwhelming gratitude that I've felt because even my mom came out one day and she, you know, she's in my booth for a few hours so that I think I was teaching a mini workshop the first year that my booth was in the expo building rather than the circus tent they had to do temporarily one year. Mm -hmm. And, um, so she came and it was like every other person that came in my booth was a former student or a friend I'd met or both or, you know, and, stopping by to say hello and and or buy things and support me in that way but it's just it's nice to see people uh you know and not all of them are people that I get to keep in touch with on a regular basis so you know sometimes that's the only time of the year I see them and it's always really nice to catch up with them and uh you know I get a lot of the people that come and i say things like I was ready to sell the wheel that I'd bought thinking that I couldn't do this or you know I, I never thought that I would that I would this would bring me such joy or you know and it's really just helping people find that thing that they want to do and for themselves and you know some of them have plans to have businesses or have launched businesses since they've started into it and you know I started updating my mailing list the other day and 
I'm going through and all of a sudden there were 70 people in it. And I was like, these are all former students and how many more are not on here and how many people have I actually taught how to spin and do what I love. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really incredible feeling to do that because it was such a life-changing thing for me. You know, if I hadn't learned how to and taken that class, I'm not sure that I would have been able to do what I'm doing today. I might still be working at a liquor store in the, in the back at the pizza place, you know, and I mean, that was something that was an on and off job for me to be able to go back to, to support what I was trying to do. And it was really because of, you know, going back to the KIA, um, it was because of getting offered the department head position that I was able to finally be like, I think I can get rid of this job that is sucking the life out of me. Yeah, (laughs) it's awesome. And so how long, how long have you been working in your current job? I I have been at the KIA since the winter after I had my son. So I guess that would be since 2013. I think okay. that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's been, you know, four years or so, a little almost five. And um, yeah, I mean, that's been incredible. And that was just part-time and just, you know, that side job. I think I talk a lot with my artist friends about we, how we have a lot of side hustle. So, you know, you, at one point I was working at a community college and an art center and the convenience store in doing shows. <laughs> so um, it's nice to start finding ways to cut out the things that are not what you want to be doing and yeah. move forward. And it takes time. And I think a lot of people don't realize it's going to or some people get lucky but uh you know it's it's been a long journey I mean I've been out of college 10 years this year and um I'm just finally starting to feel like okay I I, you know that confidence to say I am an artist is uh still something I struggle with a little bit but um I'm getting there (laughs) so and what did it take to help you get to that point was it cultivating those relationships with former students and then they come out and support you at these events? I mean, did that help you kind of boost your confidence as far as just feeling like, okay, I can make good good quality work and I'm, I can sell it and I can teach this stuff? I mean, what was it that if you had a pinpoint, was there anything in particular that helped you establish that confidence? I really think teaching was a big part of it. Shows were hard for a long time. I was trying to do art fairs with just my jewelry and, you know, it's kind of a niche market with the fiber being in it. So some people are just appreciators of something different. So, you know, I might make a few sales, but it, my confidence was pretty shattered for a while because of that. And it was realizing, oh, there's fiber shows out there. And, oh, Etsy's a thing, which when I first started out, Etsy was amazing. And so a, a lot of that was kind of tearing down my confidence, I guess, in what Mm -hmm. I was doing. And when I was actually able to start teaching spinning and then got into teaching the jewelry and it was like, oh, I I can share what I'm doing with people with a little bit less pressure and still be excited about it. It's a lot easier, I think, to show someone how to do something and kind of bounce off the excitement they have about learning something new and the appreciation they have for it than it is to be constantly promoting yourself. As you mentioned earlier, I mean, you're getting some satisfaction out of seeing what happens next after, just like for you, you took the spinning class and now a whole business developed out of this. And, you know, for other people, you're kind of setting that launch pad right there in front of them and saying, hey, you know, start here and see what happens next. And that's really awesome. Yeah, and I I get a lot of questions from my students, you know, about what I do. And sometimes it's funny because until they see it, they just don't get it. And then when they do, they're like, oh, you mean I could do this, you know? And I mean, I've had some that have went on to take classes with other people, which I always encourage them to do, you know, like get another perspective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do something else. And some of them you know, are like working on gaining this knowledge while they're still working, but help to use this as their retirement, you know, as a supplement to their retirement, uh, working in it and teaching themselves different techniques. So, you know, that's really exciting too. And they're always really excited to come and show me. And 
we have a really great, we do a knit night at the studio a few times a month. And, um, you know, it's obviously not just knitting because some of us come and spin and some of us come and stitch and do different things. But they, it's like we have a show and tell every time and it's so fun. <laughs> so, um, you know, and some of them are students and some of them are just friends that I've met because of that. But I'm always excited to see what everybody's doing. And I think it helps push me to do different things and like you said you know it encourages you to keep learning when you're seeing other people's excitement and what they're doing and so I have been fortunate to be able to take some classes and gain some more knowledge that way too but I definitely learn a lot from my students and I I get those questions sometimes how do you do this or can you do this and sometimes I do have to look at them and go you know, I don't know, and I don't necessarily have an interest in it, but you should try that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I really love the, the the handmade community. There is a whole lot of, like, sharing and kind of, you know, taking an idea and trying to make it your own. Of course, there's also that downside, the, the, the opposite of that, when the opposite yeah. of that happens. Have you had any issues with people actually, like, maybe – doing something a little too close to what you're doing and maybe setting up a booth next to you or has, has it been pretty, have you been able to not have to deal with that kind of stuff? I, you know, for the most part, I think people are pretty respectful. I haven't ever seen anybody do a blatant outright copying of what I do. Um, you know, there's only so many ways that you can blend a bat and, uh, I, I've said to a few students that I've taught, you know, things with the wire core that there's really only, there's not many other ways you can wrap wire around something. And <laughs> so <laughs> I think it really starts with the base for that. And I've, I have a couple of friends that I, I know one in particular um, that has been concerned that she might be doing that. And like, I've seen her stuff and I love it. And it's, it's her, it's not me, you know, and she learned that technique from me, but I, she's not doing what I'm doing. And she's certainly not in the same market that I am usually, um, as far as like the same shows or anything at this point. So, um, I haven't really seen that. And that's, that's been nice. (laughs) Um, it's funny to me because there are a few people that are selling the yarn itself as a supply. And I've noticed in the jewelry community, it's kind of starting to become a little bit more of a trend. And, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to look at it as that's probably a good thing for me because it might open up a different market for me. And, um, you know, as long as I don't see something that's exactly like what I'm doing, then I, th- I think it's just all healthy for the community itself. And, you know, I, I'm excited about using the material, so I expect other people probably are, too, um, you know, because it is it is a different way to add color into your work. You know, jewelry does have some limitations with how you can add that in, especially if you don't have extensive metal smithing skills you know and it, wrapping wire is is pretty accessible to most people so i i think it's kind of cool <laughs> but um you know i try to just push myself too and if i if i start to feel like oh maybe that work that i was doing was a little bit too simple maybe i need to turn that into a kit or maybe i need to teach that now and just let it go out into the world so I'm I'm trying to find that balance too and you know you were saying earlier you don't like teaching the same thing over and over and I, I don't either and I've, I've been trying to just develop some different classes for when I travel to teach so that I can kind of present something a little bit different and stay relevant you know with trends because it's kind of fun to look at that in the fiber world and see what's happening because it's it's true in all avenues you know like fashion and food and you know everything there's trends going on constantly and it's fun to see those kind of little micro categories of things where you're like oh well I mean one thing I'm teaching this year is fractals and it's a mathematical term of repeating something that repeats over and over again and I know they were really popular as like backgrounds on uh computer screens and things like that Mm -hmm. so but the math the mathematical term itself is basically just many repeats of the same thing and a lot of people are doing a lot of things with fractal yarns which is repeating the same colorways over and over again but they might be a long stretch of each colorway and then they might have intermingled with it shorter stretches so um that's something that's really popular right now and i've been excited to bring that from 
a fiber processing aspect. So teaching people how to blend their own fibers that way to then spin them. So like that's a class I'm offering at Fiber Festival in Michigan this year as well. I just found out today it's sold out at New York Sheep and Wool as well. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. (laughs) And I think I have one spot left at Michigan. So that's been really exciting to find something that other people are excited about that I'm excited about. And I know it's a trendy thing, (laughs) you know, but it's also, uh, it's a way for people to be able to do one more piece of that puzzle that they're trying to create. You know, they can blend their own fibers and then spin them and then create a project out of it. And, um, that's something that excites me and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to implement that in class form and let people use some equipment they might not otherwise be able to use in a class. You know, drum carters are not cheap and a lot of fiber processing equipment is not cheap, but I'm fortunate that I've been able to, over the years, gather more of it because it's what I do and it's it's what keeps me happy about going in the studio because I get to play with different things and not be on the same thing every day and um, you know sharing that knowledge with people I, I don't know many people that get to play with you know four different drum carters at any given time that they want to <laughs> so um, you know most people are kind of nervous to even use one to begin with in classes that I've taught with them just because they're intimidated by this expensive piece of equipment, but it's really a very accessible piece of equipment once you've used it. So um, I think it. I've, I've recently had two or three students that have been like, my Carter's on the way. And I'm like, you bought a Carter? That's amazing. Oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, so when they oh, take the plunge. God. Yeah, because they yeah, are I mean, cheap. I just saw one listed on Craigslist. It was like 450 bucks. And it was, I mean, cheap. It, and that was, and I was like, wow, but, and that's cheap. But I was like, that's still and you know that's an investment so it's not good change still yeah yeah so that's but that's great that you have people getting so excited about it that they're like yeah i'm in sign me up (laughs) yeah that's well and a spinning wheel you can sit down and you can try it anywhere that sells them you know and but a drum carter most shops aren't going to let you just walk over and start blending some fiber they can't really I mean, if they sell it once it has fiber on has had fiber on it, then they're <laughs> right. basically selling a used piece of equipment. Right. And it hasn't lost much value, but it's still lost some value. And you have to worry about any kind of damage that might happen because somebody's inexperienced. It's a lot easier to damage a drum carter than it is a spinning wheel, basically. So I think that just providing people with that opportunity to try them that's really opened a lot up a lot for me and it's it's my favorite thing to do with fiber i love to spin but i love to blend fiber and even more see than what spinning happens. like even more than spinning i do that is so I cool do. yeah well that's interesting um, yeah yeah and i i've been spinning a lot more lately because i have it at home and my equipment is at my studio so it's it's a little bit harder for me to get over there and use it right now so spinning has been a lifesaver this summer Um, and getting into using different spindles and things like that, which is probably what's going to happen next year for some classes is the fact that I've been so spindle obsessed. There, there might be something in the works with that. So we will see what happens, but, um, the blending has definitely been a big thing. And I mean, I offered a couple of blending classes at YarnCon earlier this year in Chicago, which is a really fun show and the organizers there are great and, you know, I, I, I kind of use that show to test things out. <laughs> so um, they, they just have a great crowd there. And I have a lot of repeat students every year that come and take classes with me. And uh, some of those students also take classes at Wisconsin when I teach there. So um, it's, it's fun because it's one of the first shows of the year that I teach at. So I kind of try some new ideas on them. If they work out, then I'm able to kind of put those ideas into place at other places or maybe I already have them in, but I, I kind of use them as guinea pigs and I, I'm pretty upfront with them about it, but they seem to enjoy it still. So, Well, speaking of shows, you have a couple coming up and well, at least two that we're going to overlap. We'll be in the same couple shows coming up, but then you have a whole list of shows. But um, this weekend on Saturday, we'll both be in Jackson at the Wine and Wool Festival at the, um, remind me the name of the vineyard, Sand Hill. It's a- Yep, Sandhill Crane Vineyards. Yes. I've never been there before, so this is my first time at the show. You told me about it. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but I hear it's like I hear it's a really fun experience. So w- why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about that, and we'll invite them to come along. 
so Heather Price is who runs the the festival, and I hopefully I'm not incorrect about this, but I'm fairly certain that it's her and her sister run the winery. So, and Heather actually makes like stitch markers and they're really cool. They're like a chatelaine, which if you don't know what a chatelaine is, it's um, a medieval device that is, it was used to <laughs> like, there would be like a tissue that would have perfume in it or whatever for people to smell. And because, you know, nobody was bathing. Right. So you <laughs> needed to have some other fragrance. You needed some help. Yeah. Yeah. So it would have things like that or like a sewing needle or something, but it would be carried kind of on your waist and both men and women would carry them. And I, it spoke to me because I learned about them in a box making class several years ago at Penland. And so she makes knitters chatelaines. So they're like a little thing that you can clip on that have like a pair of scissors and some stitch markers and, you know, a lot of little things like that. So it's really fun. And so she she's obviously very uh, she's a lover of yarn and um, of making things for yarnies. So she uh, partnered up with a dropped stitch to start this festival and they do it. They used to do it twice a year, but now it is it's going to be three times this year. And um, there's a winter one. It's always the last Saturday in January. And then the summer is always the last Saturday in July. And then this year they're doing one, I want to say it's the first Saturday in November is when they're doing it and it'll be a holiday one. And she just, she's so kind and always so welcoming. And it's usually a group of vendors. The summer one's the biggest because they don't have space constraints as much um, because we're outside. And I believe there's going to be 22 vendors there this year. So it's it's fairly small, but knitters just come and kind of post out all day. Um, you know, spinners come too and other fiber people, but it is a little bit more of a yarn centric show and, um, there's wine tastings all day and, uh, you know, the food is phenomenal and it's just, it's such a fun event. I always have a great time at it. And, um, you know, if you come by, uh, it's my birthday this year, so there might be something <laughs> going on. They're just, they're really great and supportive of fiber arts. And it's, I know it's a great event for them at the winery. And it's probably why they added another one because it's just packed there when, when we do it. And the winter one's fun because um, you're all in the winery and people come in and like they're fighting over seats almost <laughs> and um, kind of hang out all day and do wine tastings and knit. And then they get up and shop and then they go back and knit some more and spin or whatever. And, it's a really, really great time. You are very active with the Michigan Fiber Festival. This isn't just a show you're going to show up at. Uh, if you want to tell everyone what your, you know, kind of what your role is this year with the festival. I've always wanted to get involved in Fiber Festival, but I didn't quite feel like it was something I could do. And it, it was kind of, you know, I know a lot of people in the business, but I didn't necessarily know who was behind the scenes with right. things. And um. So I've been, this is my, gosh, I think this is my fourth year vending at the festival. Yeah. So my, my first year, uh, you know, I was just excited to get in. I had heard, you know, the entire time I'd been doing other shows that it was difficult to get into. And I was fortunate to get in about a year after, like the following year after I applied, I got in and, um, so, you know, I just vended a couple of years and I taught a mini workshop the second year I vended there. And that was really fun. And, you know, it was just like a nice, exciting little way to be able to share my product outside of my booth. Um, so that, you know, it, that I felt a little more involved at that point, I guess. And then the following year I was teaching some classes. I actually applied to teach at it and got some workshops in, but it coincided with them. Um, getting rid of their catalog and it was I'm sure a huge decision for them to do but I think that at the time they didn't really understand the impact it would have on uh, not having that catalog go out uh, you know because there's a very diverse population of people that attend festival and take classes and not all of them are that internet savvy especially even just I'm sure some of them have gotten much more so in the last couple of years even but at the time 
it was kind of difficult and some people didn't know that it had stopped coming out so they were waiting around for it and right meanwhile classes are filling up yeah yeah and so um at that point I was just like man and and because I wasn't as well known my classes were not filling up and I reached out to them and said you know hey I, I think I could help you with your social media and fortunately they were kind and accepted me <laughs> into that and so I would just was just kind of a volunteer last year um, from about May until the festival uh, doing that and I, I guess I made a good impression because I was asked afterward if um, to I am doing contract work this year for them, working on their website and doing their social media and um, also offering a class on social media at the festival this year. So, um, you know, it's, it's, they've been very receptive and it's been nice. Um, There's, you know, there was kind of a shakeup with the board and some people that just had life needs that made them step away or they felt it was time. And, so in doing that, you know, there there were different people involved, which is always rocky to start with. <laughs> you know, I, I think if anybody knows how it is, if you get a new boss at a job or, you know, anything like that, there, there's that stigma of, well, this is how we've always done it. But there's also the we need to change it because things are changing around in the world, you know. So um, we've, I think, finally gotten to a point where... Um, we're all on the same page and realizing that things need to change, but also have enough people that are like, no, no, this is working. Stop trying to do that, (laughs) you know, and kind of, I, I'm definitely, you know, you said that whole unsolicited advice thing and I'm definitely one to be, what if we did this? And then, you know, I, I sometimes need to be told no. (laughs) And so, you know, I, I think that it's going to be a transitional year as far as, uh, a lot of new things at the festival and I hope that that works out really in a very good way and um, you know we've got a podcasting tent at the festival this year for the first time well I'm thinking that it's going to be cool for people who aren't maybe they're not um, listening to podcasts on a regular basis they still maybe they haven't gotten into it yet uh, to actually see the people behind the microphones who are actually producing these that'll be really kind of cool it's a chance for them to be on a podcast while they're there. Yeah. So, and I, I know a few of them will want people to kind of come over and be like, I bought this and kind of show them and talk about it. Like a few people want to do that. And I know there were a few that just really kind of wanted to do their own thing or, you know, just interview someone like you do. But I think that's great that we're going to have kind of a diverse section of people even in the podcasting world, doing this. And um, in conjunction with that podcasting tent, it's going to be kind of like a meet and greet area. Uh, So people have kind of more of a meeting place specifically for Ravelry meetup or Facebook meetup or, uh, you know, anything like that where you you can share with each other what you've found and you can finally meet that person that you've been talking to, uh, you know, for years or you're trying to sell a wheel and you can post that somewhere and meet the person that's going to take it you know, or buy it, I should say, not take it. But there, there's still a lot of the great things that we've had for years. But um, the expo building, you know, it's it's one of those things where, I, you know, I said something about the circus tent uh, the first year I vended. I had to be in that because a barn collapsed on the fairgrounds. We had a, an exceptionally terrible winter. And I think that barn was in kind of disrepair anyway so it it did not make it and well, i'm just glad that was... happened at a time other than when people were in it oh you know, gosh I mean, right that would have just been <laughs> so um you know it was kind of rough that first year being in this weird tent that i mean it was yellow and white so it just threw the color off on everything it, you know it was i think more hot in there but the expo building that they put on the grounds is just beautiful and it was a really great consolation prize to be vending in that building after that year and I think a lot of people are really excited about that building now and I know that before the vendors that were at the back of the festival back where the animals and everything were often didn't get as many visitors as the front buildings did because it was at the back of the ground some people didn't even know it was there so um, you know, I think adding more events back there and having more in between the front buildings and that back one is really going to help, 
unify the festival in that way um, and really make people kind of travel around it. So, you know, and it, we also, there's live music a couple days. Uh, our, we have a chairperson that takes care of that and um, gets a couple of local bands in. So it's really fun to kind of support all these different uh, other creative people at the festival. You're doing a lot of work to help bring the festival into the modern era. So that's really wonderful. I want to thank you for having me on because, yeah, <laughs> it's totally fine. But I want to thank you because it's funny that you were saying that about people coming up to you at the market and being like, you should interview me because I am the dork that was just like, I want to be on a podcast. <laughs> I didn't even care about anything else that happened. I just thought it would be fun. <laughs> so thank you for the opportunity. Well, you're welcome. Um, and- you know, if it turns into anything else, that's amazing. But I, I it was just nice to kind of chat with you and have somebody care about what I do. So thanks. Yeah, well, I'll see you Saturday. Don't stay up too late yeah. on Friday. A special thanks to Emily for being on the show. I really appreciated it. It was really fun to chat. I'm really looking forward to seeing Emily this weekend at the Wine and Wool Festival at Sand Hill Crane Vineyards in Jackson, Michigan. That's going to happen Saturday from 10 to 5 p.m., I will be in the same area again with Emily at the Michigan Fiber Festival at the Erlegan County Fairgrounds. And that's going to happen the weekend of the sale is going to be the 18th, 19th, and 20th will be the vending opportunities. And then there are classes that people can take the week before in the, in the days leading up to that weekend. Uh, I'll have links at crabsanity.com to all of Emily's events coming up, her teaching opportunities, and also her online shop. So you should head over and take a look. It's really cool jewelry. And I I think if you like fiber, if you're a fiber artist, a knitter, a spinner, her jewelry will have a special and particular appeal to you. So go ahead and check that out. And I want to thank my Patreon sponsors. I forgot to thank you guys at the beginning of the show. My apologies. Thanks so much for keeping the show going. I really appreciate it. If you would like to sponsor an upcoming episode of the show, please get in touch. It's jennifer at craftsanity.com. I'd also love to hear your show ideas and, you know, anything else. Uh, for those of you who have already signed up for my newsletter, thank you. I'm, I'm going to be sending that out on a more regular basis. I sent my first one out uh, last week. I actually sent one out on my birthday. It was such a weird time to, like, relaunch my newsletter. But I don't know. I, I got up on my 41st birthday and that was the first thing I did, is work on my newsletter. The new Craft Sanity Kindred loom collection is on sale right now. All the looms in the collection are on sale. And I'm going to be rolling out some hexagon looms at the sale this weekend, the one at the Wine and Wool Festival. They'll be ha- The new hexagon looms will be there. I'm also going to have some stocking cap hat looms, which will be very fun. I love this loom. It's hilarious because I recorded a tutorial video on my deck yesterday and I wore the hat. It was like 80 some degrees. It was ridiculous. And um, I only put the hat on very briefly to take a photo because I'm like, I just can't have a hat on when it's 80 degrees out. I am ready for the cooler temperatures. I have three stocking hats at the ready. So it's kind of funny, but I will have some a few stocking caps at the upcoming uh my upcoming sales i'll have some hats i I love making these hats and i obviously don't need 50 of them so i'll be uh selling off some of my samples and i will also be showing people how to make their own because i know for some people they have no desire to make it they're like yeah i don't want to make that but i'd wear it and then there are people who are like i would totally wear that but i want to make my own and i kind of fall under that category if i can make it myself I, i usually want to um and if I'm just like, yeah, I don't really think I have time or, you know, it's just not something I want to do. I like to support other artists. So my business is kind of, I guess I'm kind of trying to do, you know, satisfy people on, on two levels here. I'll either make it for them or I'll teach them how to make it themselves. So anyway, I'm looking forward to the show. Uh, I haven't done a show in a while, so this will be interesting to see. I'm going to do a, a practice setup with all this new stuff probably tomorrow. And then I will have an extra, you know, one day in between to try to figure out how I'm going to get everything in my van and set up and, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but 200 episodes, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I guess, um, 102 episodes ago, I was thinking this podcast was probably going to end and not well. Um, (laughs) and then it kept going 
And I'm glad about that. So thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. And I know some of you have been listening since the beginning, which kind of blows my mind because that first episode was <laughs> so rocky. And I'm not really polished. I really haven't done a whole lot to uh, to get polished, but I have gotten more comfortable here at the microphone. And um, it's fun. I really like it. So thanks again. High fives to everyone. And, oh, you know, if you do go to the wool, the Wine and Wool Festival this weekend, it's actually Emily's birthday. So make sure you stop by and say happy birthday. That would be really cool to have a bunch of people go by and wish her a happy birthday. So, all right, before I get myself in any more trouble, I'm going to sign off. I will be back soon with another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week.